0: Haven't Seen It with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. I know that is myself today. Tommy, have you seen The Prestige before? Yeah, uh,
1: I saw this uh, in theaters back in the day in seventh grade, and I didn't. I remember the only thing I can remember from this movie, like back then, was seventh grade Tommy was like, the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) I did not understand this movie whatsoever. On rewatch, a little easier to comprehend, so.
0: (laughs) It's not. It's very Nolan-esque in its themes. It's very Nolan-esque in its concept, but I think we'll just kind of probably... Discuss a little bit more just about like Nolan movies because I think Sans, the the Dark Knight trilogy, which has definitely has his aspects in it, no problem. Those are easily like the most linear and like digestible. Most, of... Yeah,
1: easy easiest to fucking understand. I mean, like you know, on the scale of like Nolan, like bullshit, like of like you know, you can't understand the movie. There's Tenet, which I feel like I'm got to watch over and over and over again just to comprehend haven't watched, i haven't
0: watched Tenet. i i do want to watch it i just, I, I,
1: I, I i it's just one of those movies that's just like you watch it and you're like like even more so than this where like this movie i feel like on rewatch wasn't as uh, confused as i thought in middle school but Tenet is just like so uncomprehensible in some ways where it's just like all right dude like come on like you can make it a little bit more less confusing I guess so um, you know we'll discuss more but and there's something with Nolan I mean like I haven't seen Memento but I know Memento has the backwards uh, linear stru- structure um, I'm trying to think what else I've seen Insomnia is uh, somewhat confusing here and there I mean like Inception obviously is just like a mindfuck of a movie right there so I mean like, this guy loves to deal with confusing and challenging movies and
0: I, ch- challenging narratives I, I don't think it's I think it's deliberate and I don't think it's necess- I think it's o- always more so with him it's a- more thematic yeah, than like the, I... the, the point of like get, getting the understanding of the plot um, and I think that kind of keeps in line with because like he's not a surrealist at all it's not like a David no. Lynch film but in terms of like the plot is just something to keep you hooked it's not the end all be all of the film is definitely no. something more nolan-esque like i would even say like i think the dark knight is top two probably is easily my favorite superhero movie of all time and tonight Christ is at the time tonight of our recording is actually the 15th anniversary of dark knight god which, damn i feel old now yeah bro. we're getting
1: fucking old right there so i oh, mean like obviously we've both yeah. seen that movie
0: did you just see tommy the gray hairs that just came in when you said that sentence yeah. <laughs> Like they just started, they just started flowing, I mean, it, dude. Oh my it god. It fucks up
1: me because like I remember like seeing like the 10th anniversary screen of that. And now you tell me that that's five years ago. It's like, what the fuck is time? Um, so obviously we both see the dark knights. So that's and we are not covering this? Heimer is coming out this weekend. Um, you know, we're both pretty excited for it. I don't think I'm gonna be able to see it this weekend. I don't think I, I'm gonna see Barbaheimer. I... Are you gonna do a double feature to me? Are you I, seeing Barbie I, too?
0: I don't have I'm going away this weekend, but I am doing a Thursday screening of Oppenheimer just because I feel like yeah, if one is not, one is likely going to stay in theaters a lot longer than the other. And I think we both know which one it is. <laughs> um, I and, think, but, uh, but Oppenheimer is getting a lot of really good press, like a lot of incredible reviews. Um, I, I think- I mean, Bar- I think Barbie coming out with Oppenheimer and then like Christopher Nolan being like one of like the five director names that like people know is actually helps Oppenheimer, I think, versus like Oppenheimer coming out in like the middle of August. Um, yeah. I-, I think those two two dates and like just like the-, the fan messaging behind Barbenheimer, I think I saw that AMC reported that there's 40,000 tickets sold of both Barbie and Oppenheimer opening weekend. Yeah, so I mean, like, a, that's a lot. Oh, oh, and I'm, I'm talking about like on the same day from the same person, like yeah. one screening of one, one into the it's, other.
1: It's fun. I mean, like I've definitely done stuff like that before. I mean, like uh, four or five years ago, there was uh, Toy Story 4 came out and then the Child's Play remake came out. Both two toy movies, obviously two different uh, um, opposing tones or whatever like that. But I remember my buddy and I, we uh, saw Toy Story 4 and then we snuck into Child's Play. It might have been the other way around, but still, that was a little different. Uh, Barbie, for what you're saying, I mean, like, right now, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes. And I know, you know, you'll say whatever you want about Rotten Tomatoes. But 93% right now for Barbie at 57 reviews. I mean, i can got to see that, too. It looks fucking hilarious. It I think it's fun. definitely. And it's, it's
0: it was, two talented filmmakers. That's the big thing with Barbie yeah. that I'm sure, like, the general public doesn't. They're like, oh, it's a Barbie movie. It looks pink. It's got Margot Robbie in it. Ryan Gosling it looks like a lot of fun but I look at it and go you put you this in much, and <laughs> you, you put it in any pretty much anybody else's hands and it's probably trash but you have like a really talented filmmaker and then you have Noah Baumbach also writing the screenplay for it I I'm very excited for it because of that dynamic uh, uh, of that film and then you know Oppenheimer is it's just such a big story um, of you know, one of the most pivotal events of humanity. Um, and I, I just think it, it's like the the it might be the last great cinematic event that we we ever have because if yeah. <laughs> the movie studios have it their way, uh, they will destroy the industry to try to save costs. Um, it's it's insane. So this is just a little little baby rant um because SAG-AFTRA has now joined the WGA on strike um one of the primary reasons for SAG-AFTRA going on strike you know including the streaming revenue sources that you know they're just not getting residuals from is that uh they want to start scanning actors ai uh, you know all full range of motion and with you know and use them in perpetuity without any um without any kind of feedback compensation yeah compensation they just want to use the actor's likeness to put them into movies and to put them into tv shows and it's it's a big deal with extras where they're saying they're going to pay them like 150 dollars, like they usually would and then scan them and then just reuse them and I, i for the the AI definitely has its functionality. It's going to take a lot of jobs. Um, this is a, a creative medium, film and TV, when it's done at at the right level, and even like mediocre to like bad stuff. There's usually like at least an artistic passion to it. And I think yeah, I think we've talked about Marvel, Star Wars, blah, 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 all that stuff where it it's really felt like a lot of that product has has no passion no creativity no it just feels like here's generic product for you audience to consume they are trying to bet that they can just replace human beings in these projects and you will still go and do them and i have to say yeah no no well
1: I mean uh, like you take a movie like uh, I know you haven't seen it and I don't think you ever see, see it and we're not going to cover it on the pod that much um, but you know we had the Flash movie that came out last month and the Flash has an extended sequence of cameos that pretty much is just like okay here's Christopher Reeve and here's Nicolas Cage's Superman spoiler I don't give a shit I mean no one saw this movie so whatever I, I don't think people and care. it's going to look but, and it looked like dog shit
0: I saw the it looked like picture.
1: rubbery bullshit and yeah it's just like okay like whatever like is this really what we're doing and then you have stuff like the only time I can really, like, I didn't really care if uh there's discourse about uh, Secret Invasion, the Marvel show, where the intro to that would have, like, a montage thing that was created you by know, AI. That's-, that's whatever. But, like, you have this thing where, like, you know, um, I was, before we recorded, I was listening to Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother. He was talking about how he's also striking uh, because of Netflix, because he was on Gilmore Girls for years and years and years. And Gilmore Girls became this huge hit for Netflix. And you know, he's looking at the fact that like, hey, I'm on the show that drove traffic towards Netflix, gave them money, gave them a lot of money. I was one of the performers, and yet I see like Ted sarandos and whoever the fuck else at Netflix give themselves these huge bonuses. And meanwhile, like his residual checks are nothing. You know, you have uh Kamiko Glenn from fucking Orange is the New Black. She's uh shared her residual check orange and new black is a show that drove so much traffic so much attention towards netflix and camille glenn she was like a big part of the show her residual check was for like 27 cents yeah Yeah. and And apparently
0: apparently this netflix ceo netflix brass was talking because they don't release the view count numbers that's how they protect the residuals because they don't have to um Mm -hmm that he was bragging at a party that it's like the most viewed thing ever, like based off their streaming numbers or whatever. And it's just, it's a bunch of nonsense. Um, Mm. And like, I'm here for the, the fair pay. I totally believe, you know, artists should be paid for their work, no matter what you like or don't like it. Like I saw something like a She-Hulk writer, which show I'm never going to watch. And it was pretty panned talking about like, how he wasn't getting any kind of residual check for for his work and it's like no he deserves it man because I'm sure it drove a ton of traffic to Disney plus for people to watch it or hate watch it like people watched it Um, and I'm part of on that side but for me it's specifically this trying to use AI like even to the highest extreme of something like Avatar, where it genuinely looks fantastic, like it's incredible CG. Well, that's that's one thing, too, though, because but, but I'm saying there's, Avatar- an, there's an uncanny valley there. Yeah, the human eye will always be able to detect face fakeness no matter what. And yeah. I, we were bombarded with it by the major studio system the last decade. I Luke think...
1: Skywalker and The Mandalorian. I mean, that looks fucking rubbery and fake. I mean, we just talked about Christopher Reeve. I mean, like, uh, you have all this other sort of stuff like de-aging technology, which, like, you know, we were talking about this last week of Harrison Ford and Dial Destiny.
0: where like, they granted, that's $100 million a if they just cast a guy that looks like him. Um, yeah. And save 15 minutes of the movie if they just started it on And that's, the that's slightly
1: different. But when you have the total things, I mean, like, you know, we look at it like as memes of like, you know, the things on Twitch of like, Seinfeld 24 hours where it's an AI write Seinfeld and it's all computers and stuff like that yeah it's funny for like a meme thing but like when you try and take it into like you know have an AI write a script or touch up a script for uh, you know the new Marvel movie or whatever stuff like that you're gonna get generic bullshit and just like it's just gonna be recycled garbage and yeah you might say yeah Marvel's already like that or Star Wars is already like that or whatever but at the end of the day there are people who write this shit for and they should be being game paid fairly for their fucking shit oh
0: yeah oh yeah Uh, this is not an argument against the the payment i'm pro that um yeah i am just more concerned about just the lack of vision and when you just take these finance finance dudes to run a creative medium and a creative industry uh and just using large intellectual property to make money that's what's shielded them the past decade from like not having to actually address the issues of the movie system. Um, and I, I saw something Spielberg predicted like 10 plus years ago that like there's going to come a time where Hollywood's just going to make all these $250, $300 million movies and they're all going to bomb and you're going to c- cause an industry collapse. And here we are, 2023.
1: Yeah, um, like The Flash was apparently like the worst loss ever for Warner Brothers. And I think um... Dial
0: of Destiny is pending to be the worst loss in the history of disney uh um, yeah i'm looking at wikipedia the budget was uh ranging from
1: 229 uh 295 million or 400 million and currently it's at 300 million uh so in, in box office yikes. and you gotta remember
0: yeah. you put one and a half to two into marketing so something like indiana jones is going to get two so you're putting 600 million into the budget of indiana jones and then you got to remember the theater's got to take its cut too so the theater gets one and a half of the of the or gets half of that box office number so that's 150 that's disney's recouped of uh, a uh, 600 million dollar investment and they have to get to 900 million globally to just break even and you're not making a, a 300 million dollar movie to just break even you're making it to make over to make Five hundred to a five hundred million to a billion dollars. Uh, so the yeah. industry is completely broken. Um, it just lacks creativity. Um, I fully stand with the WGA and the Sat and SAG, and they should be really joining forces because they because you have really good talented writers and really great performers, and now you can actually blend their talents together and get really really effective messaging out. So, yeah, I. I, I think that
1: like you know it's so blow at this point. I think what we're going to end up seeing, and I guess we could transition this into what we watched recently. Um, I think we're going to see the rise of the mid-budget uh, movie again. I, I think that too. like for a while we've been seeing like you know just franchise movies, superhero movies, fast, fast and the furious, or like small budget horror movies, which I love, but you know um, yeah, you but they but,
0: but they cost five million to make, they make fifty in a theater. They immediately profit. They make. They make. They're making twenty million dollars, and you can make thirty yeah. of those versus five giant movies. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see that more return. I, I, you hope. You hope. Yeah. You um, hope. So, I mean, I, I guess we'll transition
1: this into like the what we watched recently. Um I don't think I've mentioned this on the pod before, Um, but we'll we'll keep it a little bit uh, faster. But you know, I saw no hard feelings recently of Jennifer Lawrence. I saw that uh, too. It was a very funny, like r uh comedy that, like, mm-hmm. I've seen. No. Funny,
0: it was funny. It had its moments. But... It had its moments, but it, it it was this it was a step in the right direction, in my opinion, of like, yeah, what we want back. Uh, it just needed more joke jokes and just like a cl- more clever script because, like, the first thirty minutes, I don't laugh. And typically, when I watch a comedy, that's like where most of the laughs are is in the first thirty minutes. Um, yeah. And it tried to kind of blend more drama, comma comedy. It it was fine. It was solid little flick. But yeah, overall, I think that was a good
1: flick. I'm glad I saw it. I mean, like, there's definitely some moments I laughed out loud. And like, you know, I love the studio comedies of like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, the Seth Rogens, the Adam Sandler's, whatever, stuff like that's not really seen theatrical. So it's good to see like a really raunchy comedy. I think it made even if it 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 made
0: its money back too. Which is good. Yeah, right now.
1: So yeah, we're gonna see movies probably like that more and more again. A are sign up for. Stupid comedies again, and not just go straight to streaming.
0: <laughs> Let's hope. Um, I saw Mission Impossible Seven: Dead Reckoning Part One. Um, whatever the Scientology's God name is, uh, may he bless Tom Cruise for ten thousand yeah. generations, because that man just puts asses in seats and is pretty much single-handedly th- saving the theater industry because he's actually they're actually trying on these productions they're not filmed on giant green screens they're filmed on locations with just incredible stunt choreography not not the not the craziest script which we'll get into with the prestige um but it just solid action all the way through go see go see mission impossible dead reckoning part 1 Go see Oppenheimer. Go see Barbie. Go see these movies that just feel like a breath of fresh air and a sea of just yeah. relapsed dung getting shoved into your face. But speaking of a movie that's not a relapsed dung, this is The Prestige
1: greatest magic trick I've ever seen on october 20th every twist how does he do it? every turn will reveal secrets you can't imagine he There's has no trick it's real the prestige gdpg 13
0: so this is the prestige it's one of nolan's earlier films he filmed this in between batman begins and the dark knight uh he started producing this or coming up with the concept of it in 2003 i believe this was released in 2006 and they you know once batman begins started they had to put it on hold and then they filmed it afterwards um similar
1: cast i mean christian bell obviously michael kane um this was based on like a novel in 95 sam Mendez apparently was originally a post directus but then the guy who wrote the novel ended up wanting to give it to nolan after nolan showed him his like uh movie the following or something like that mm-hmm. and um you know the guy was so the guy who wrote this novel was so impressed by the following uh or following rather um that he was like i want to give this to christopher nolan was and me like give a new filmmaker a leg up so um yeah <laughs> that's how it came to be
0: it's how it came to be and this movie is def it i feel like and we were talking about it before with with nolan and like his like mind funk mind fuckiness like where he just you know the plot isn't super linear i I feel like this is a very very linear straightforward movie and Hmm. the question mark just kind of comes in at the end with the twists which yeah one i think is really really great really really effective and i can't wait to watch it on on a rewatch and the other one felt like well what do we do
1: yeah yeah one almost felt slightly cheap in a way one felt
0: one felt really cheap and it it worked for me in the moment
1: yeah Um, but but like when you think about it when you like, it's kind of a little bit cheap right there
0: it's where you just you have to suspend reality and just yeah do that which i'm fine with when the script and the performances and just the full production of the film itself makes it worth that allowing of your illusion not when it's just cheap because it was a lazy script it was just they hit this edge of the wall at the end of the script of the story. I've never read the the novel. This is based off of, but it is kind of a, well, what do you do?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like this is, pro- I, I haven't read the novel, obviously either, but I have to imagine it's not that much different than like, you know, the novel it came from. So it's the problem of adaptation. But I mean, like I said in the beginning, uh, this pod, my watches in seventh grade, this was a little dense for me and I wasn't pretty much able to process it, but I, I noticed the rewatch that like for the most part, felt a little linear. I mean, like and I didn't love how the movie went, went from like timed up to time to time jump Where it. It seemed like every scene was just like five years in the future or five years in the past, or, you know, that's the only thing I wasn't really a big fan of, but it still was pretty not, not difficult to follow. I would say,
0: yeah i that didn't bother me that much the time jump i was completely fine with it and i thought it worked really um effectively uh i actually i thought it was a bit confusing at the beginning where i'm just like Mm -hmm. okay we watch angier hugh jackman die uh christian bales and chains and then it just cuts to him going to colorado um but I I don't think you necessarily need this story told linearity. Like it is just kind of a bunch of vignettes of the same characters at different stages. Um, But it's a movie about obsession. It's a movie about um, it's a rivalry movie. It's a, and it's kind of falls into the themes of, of a typical Christopher Nolan movie of like, what is real and what isn't. I feel like that's usually the crux of like what his movies are and what you believe in. And I think like for the audience and I think why Nolan has had such success, like I, I think the dark Knight put in that movie just being so gigantic, really put him in like to the mainstream eye of like a household name to become like a Spielberg. But I, I think part of it is, the, the interpretation of the film itself and what you take away from it I think could be different from other people like I I, I see criticisms of, of Christopher Nolan where they say he's a director that oh he's like the he's a dumb guy's idea of a smart filmmaker and I, I disagree with that I just think he's somebody that tells more linear stories or just more contemporary stories like compared to Mulholland Drive like which I think is a better movie than the prestige this mm-hmm. is something that a uh widespread audience can take take in and not just sit there like scratching their head heads like i think mahon drive has a has something to it that will always keep you attached to it but I, but you would literally be scratching your head at the end of the movie going like what's going on if you watch 200 movies total in your entire life yeah where i feel like the Prestige and like other Nolan ones. I, I know you mentioned Tenet. I haven't seen that. I've heard that that can get really crazy. That's the worst of Nolan, uh, I'd say in terms of like his
1: bogged downness and like yeah, just they t- overly they t- complicated.
0: They typically explore characters who become obsessed with discovering the truth. That's typically the, you know, or revealing some truth. And like, I think you can even see that in the, that's a theme in like all three of them, the Nolan Batman movies. Um, and I, I just think it's a very powerful theme that I think audiences just kind of connect to whether they can put the the dots together in a sentence or not. I think their brain does it for them. Um, like, I, I don't think he makes films that are just like, cookie cutter like out the oven i think it's just his own style and the, like the older i get the more i appreciate an artist just having his own unique vision and i i think the mm. prestige is is probably one of the cleaner of of a nolan film where from beginning to end you'll 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 get what's going on yeah i
1: i feel like in terms of like the whole, whole entire uh you know repertoire of nolan films this movie has kind of been like forgotten. I feel like people don't really talk about this movie that
0: I much. I feel like it got a lot of talk after The Dark Knight and then mm-hmm. like the early mid to you know 2010s and then it kind of just fell out of public discourse which, which does happen but this is a great movie. Like this is a really captivating just rivalry of mm-hmm. two magicians yeah. who one is the better showman and one's the better magician and you They're... know they put their heads together um they could you know really become something spectacular but uh, uh Borden played by Christian Bale, uh, Alfred Borden and also playing Bernard Fallon um you know, his twin brother, which is the big reveal, which I actually really didn't see coming. It, it, thinking back on it in hindsight it feels feels like it was smacking me in the face. To be yeah I,
1: this is gonna be like a sixth sense situation where you rewatch it i mean like i did kind of remember that part of the twist uh because like i haven't revisited this movie once since uh you saw I it saw yeah it. yeah yeah so i mean like i don't know part of it it makes sense but in their point it's just like it just feels like such a goddamn like easy twist that we've seen some time. but again. it's
0: so it's so well hidden um in there, and and they're right. They were working together as like under magicians or whatever for for a touring guy. And um, Hugh Jackman's wife was the showgirl, um, and either Borden or Fallon miss do the tie on the dunk tank trick, and she dies um, in the tank. And yeah. Algier I do believes, love the- Algier believes it was intentional. Um, I think that's up for interpretation. I think it could have just been bore, Borden or Fallon. One of the two were swapping that day, and they like one of them knew how to do it, and one of them knew didn't know how to do it, and that was the one who was there.
1: Made it too complicated or something like that. Um, I mean, I do like the little bit of the grim, like gallows humor, almost sort of the fact that like the audience is pretty much there to like see if like are they gonna die right here <laughs> and they bring yeah. them multiple times about can especially it's like yeah but they just want to see you die and see if you can't pull us off this trick um I do like how in some aspects there's almost like a dark humor aspect to it where it's just like there's a little bit of like back and forth maybe like 20 minutes of this movie where it's just like seeing how Hugh Jackman's gonna fuck up Christian Bale's act and seeing how Christian Bale's gonna fuck up Hugh Jackman's act over and over and over again and like the little rivalry right there really plays off really well of like and ways that like are very grim of like you know the whole entire thing of where Hugh Jackman's doing the bird trick and he has this whole thing set up for it and everything like that and um, breaks the fucking woman's finger, uh, Christian Bale comes up uh, fucks up the trap immediately, breaks the woman's f- fingers and stuff like that and the period piece of this aspect was just really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And like as someone for me who works in like you know, the music industry and the theater industry, just thinking about like how fucking crazy it was. Or it's like, Oh, I booked a ballet for a month. And it's like, what the fuck? Like entertainment back then must've been crazy. And, you know, going a little slightly off topic of this movie, but like, it's just one way of just like the world of this movie is just really well built out.
0: <laughs> uh, the world is really built well built out. And for me personally, like I love that turn of the century, like aesthetic um, mm-hmm. just that time I just think it's utterly fascinating and just sets a blueprint for where America and the Western world like ends up um but I just think like that style um and that like and when I say that style like the clothing, just like the the posters, the text like everything that makes the world feel so real and so lived in mm-hmm. is it just compels me I, I just love that time in history um, and and why and like like the production design of this film is flawless and maybe the greatest strength of the movie like you're never once taken out of that that world that bubble
1: oh 100 percent. i mean like you're great uh just sucked in immediately i mean this movie was nominated for best art direction and like the set in itself is just like feels lived in it doesn't feel like hokey or ever like or a most low budget things um one thing i want to touch upon this movie it was i just love the reveal of how much they build up nicola tessa played by Boyer mm-hmm. right here um you know throughout the movie in the first like well maybe 30 40 minutes of this movie like you hear like stuff about nicola tessa you have uh, fucking indie circus playing his like you know henchman or assistant, like you're talking about all this shit. built up about like how oh he's a recluse, or like oh he lives in the Colorado Springs and all this stuff. And you see his uh, how crazy electricity was in people back then and stuff like that. And when you finally see Nikola Tesla, he comes out and he's played by fucking David Bowie of all people. I mean, Christopher Nolan said that when he casted this part for Tesla, he wanted someone who wasn't necessarily a film star but extraordinarily charismatic and. Bowie really fit the part. Bowie apparently turned down his part at first and then no one flew out to New York to pitch roll to, uh, to Bowie saying like there's no one else who can play this part and Bowie's like okay I'll do it and the casting works so fucking well because just like yeah, the super extraordinary talent playing Nikola Tesla who was probably a celebrity in his own right back in the day and just fits so well I and mean, he's
0: great well, in this movie. Well, well Tesla Well, that's the whole thing. And it's an an allegory for the Algier um, rivalry um, with Bale's character, who's named Bannon, who's Alfred Bannon. Um, They, you know, Edison stole a lot of his ideas that he gets a lot of credit for from Tesla. And there was a real rivalry there. And you see that come to fruition once the final machine is made where the the transporter uh, trick, aka the duplicator, um, they, uh, you know, Edison's men are there to burn down Tesla's factory in Colorado Springs. And whether that's true or not, I did not dive deeper into the research, but I, you know, it's just another allegory. These men who are obsessed and have completely different paths of, of getting to that that place, right? Where, you know, mm-hmm. Tesla is kind of like the ratty underdog, you know, kind of the, the the genius, if you will. And Edison's the more capitalist showman who sold it and made a lot of money and got his name out there better. One was the better mm-hmm. showman. One was the better inventor. And then you have oh, J.R. Bannon. One was the better showman. One was the better magician. It just plays into that story. It's weave have it in so perfectly in terms of the impact of the plot and the impact of um, and just like as a, an allegory for for what the story you're actually hearing, even though it's minimally in the background, um, it's uh, it, it's it's great that it's there. And it's just it's another layer to a movie like this where you get to really take it all in um, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I guess we should talk about the ending of the movie um, where we kind of, we kind of hinted at it a little bit. Um, The ending, the big reveal. um, So Christian Bale's character, Alfred Borden is being hung for killing uh, Angier in during a show, which was quote unquote set up. Um, We learned that it was set up by Angier, Hugh Jackman's character, um, because the big trick, the electric shock trick, where he appears one second after speaking, you know, not a stand-in, not not a double. Yeah, he it was a duplicating machine and he would have to kill the version of himself. That would have to that would now create. There could only be one of them that exists. Um hmm. And it's not really explained, which I'm thankful for. Just don't, like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, we Just, don't need to bog down the science of it. Yeah, you know, we don't fantasy. need to bog <laughs> down the science of it. Um, and we learn that he is playing uh, Lord Caldwell, who adopts Borden's daughter. And and he was the one who wants to buy his tricks from him or whatever. And he, there's a final reveal, and you you think Angier's dead at this point. And you're like, oh, what? How? How? How how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Um while Borden is being hung and they're clearing out the theater from all the equipment uh, Angier is with Michael Caine's character, Cutter, who's kind of the mentor character for Angier. Um, Bernard, who is seen as this bearded silent man who is just uh, Borden's assistant, turns out it's his twin and he kills the last Angier that's, that's standing there and, um, it it i think in the the way it's cut perfect like the editing yeah. in that sequence perfect it it makes it so much more impactful than me just describing this to you right now because mm. i repeated it to you like an eighth grade essay and it <laughs> was, it's a lot cleaner in the movie and uh you know the twin thing it, it was sitting in your face the entire time uh Fallon there's is- there's some there's so, so many things within it so we, many hints. i mean like the whole
1: sarah uh played by rebecca hall and um scott johansson played by olivia i think i mean with christian bale mm-hmm. i mean like that's one of the big hints right there where rebecca hall is just like you seem like a different person like what is going on here and you know i don't why love do you, you love today i love yeah, you yeah i don't love you today but because one of the I,
0: brothers loved her and one of the other brothers loved scarlett johansson and mm-hmm. it was they were just different versions of you know the same person quote unquote um i feel like i get it in terms of that ma- magician showmanship and I, I guess it just shows how insane these two men were but i feel like with your wife you could just be like yeah like in public we will never go out in public like one of us will be us and one of like they can't know that there's a twin but here you can know that like this is the one that loves you and this is the <laughs> well one yeah that doesn't. It's one of those things once you poke
1: a little bit of holes in this, it's just like Yeah. Yeah. How long was where this was this going on from from birth? No one ever knew, like oh, Christian Bale was had a twin. It's identity. not from
0: birth it's not from birth, it's from becoming a magician. When does this come forward? Yeah. You, you know. Um that's really the the main crux <laughs> of it. And it, yeah. it, it it fixes in it works because it, the movie is focuses on both these men's obsession with getting to the top and being the premier magician Mm. that it makes sense in the context, because these guys are such lunatics that they would willingly wear makeup every day and dress up like a creepy old man to protect that secret. Even from the ones closest to them.
1: We do have a lot of dual performances in this movie. I mean, like Christian Bale, for the most part, those two characters don't seem that much different to me in terms of performances. But I mean, like Hugh Jackman right here, I mean, like obviously his clones are just clones of him, but like when he was playing um, Gerald Root, you know, his drunken actor uh, that looks just like him. Yeah. There's just a great contrasting performance right there. And like just two completely different characters where like, you could almost just be like, Oh, that's just someone that looks like Hugh Jackman or almost to an extent where it's just like, they don't feel like the same character whatsoever. And it's a really good performance, a really good aspect of, you know, but you'd probably realistically do just hire a double, that like you and just hide him out of the public eye or whatever.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I think that's a good transition, Tommy. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. Tommy, who is the star of the show? Who gives the best performance? Because I think it's, Both leading men are great. Michael Caine's great. All the performances are great. Young Scarlett Johansson, also great. That was a nice surprise. I didn't expect her to be in this movie.
1: Um, I forgot she was in it.
0: (laughs) So here's my take. I think overall, given their body of work, I think Christian Bale is far and away a better actor than Hugh Jackman. But I think Hugh Jackman gives, from what I've seen, the best performance of his career in The Prestige. Like, yeah, he, he no holds back. Like, he was fully
1: invested. He runs away with this movie. I mean, like, you know, he was in the movie called The Greatest Showman, but in this movie, he's also a great fucking showman. I mean, mm-hmm. his magician performances, I mean, like, I just love l- listening to him talk in this movie where it's just like, ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to see is considered dangerous and just like really captivating performance. And like, like I said earlier, his dual performance of him playing Gerald Root in this movie is just. Really good, different aspects. We see him, you know, humble uh, him being uh, braggadocious to him being a little bit more humble, and him being more drunken uh, buffoon. He plays so many different aspects in this movie, and he's just a Swiss Army man in this movie. You know, Swiss yeah, he, Army knife.
0: He is, and and this is not discrediting Bale, but Bale definitely puts on a more stoic, grounded performance. He doesn't really kind of camp it up um, the way angier does which angier doesn't really it does this doesn't broach into camp uh at all but you, you know what i mean in terms of that like versatility um yeah michael kane's also excellent in it he just kind of plays alfred in this movie yeah it's <laughs> <not musicians>. sure. <laughs> but it, it's yeah. perfect casting so you don't you, you you know don't if it ain't broke don't
1: he, fix it he plays the michael kane part
0: <laughs> he plays the michael kane the elderly michael kane part uh the miscongeniality uh david bowie is definitely like a heat check based on this movie enough to say he won it <laughs> yeah d- d- it was i i think i would need to rewatch it knowing bowie was in it because i was almost just like holy crap that's david bowie and not yeah. so much like like evaluating the performance andy circus is great it Nolan always just gets great performances has interesting unique movies um that's just fully on display with the cast here um you know uh I, i'm very excited for oppenheimer going thursday i have no I've already yeah. said it but yeah. um you know just a, a true master of, of his craft and makes his own stories um and you see that with you know taking a very famous actor like hugh jackman who's he's always good never really like you know he was lucky he was wolverine and not patrick dempsey because he might have ended up being like patrick dempsey's career you know um yeah yeah mcdreamy <laughs> yeah and and you know, taking that musical theater background that he has—I'm pretty sure he has—and just giving a performance of a lifetime.
1: Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka.
0: Tommy does the prestige work as a Muppet adaptation. I feel like there's already like a bunch of images out there of like Kermit
1: dressed up in a suit, like dressed up like a magician or something like that. So, that in itself, aesthetic wise, yes, I could see that working. Oh, yeah. just like, you know, it would be Kermit versus like Gonzo. I feel like that
0: would have to be. And then, I, I mean, the aesthetic works. Uh, the Nolan movie to a, I I can only think of like Kubrick movies as worse examples of Muppet adaptations off yeah. the top of my head. Uh, this would not work at all. Um, I I don't even know if I'd really want to see it just because like Muppets just need to be a little bit more simple, a little bit more wacky. Um, and the this story There's just so doesn't f- allow for that because you need that tension buildup, right? Like that just it's always in the movie, it's always so well, tense. The the last shot of the movie is just
1: a vat of drowned Kermits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um,
0: <laughs> like I don't think you could do that in this movie uh with a Muppet adaptation. But, I mean, you know what? They're already having AI. They're trying to get AI to rewrite everything. So might as well try a prestige AI Muppet adaptation, Disney. There you go. See, I'm on your side. Give me money. Okay. Review time, Tommy. Give me your score out of five. So when I first saw
1: this movie way back in 2006, uh, seventh grade Tommy hated this movie. It was like, I don't understand this. This is just too complicated and whatever. And on rewatch, you know, what, 15, 16 years later, I thought this is a really captivating movie. It wasn't nearly as hard as I, uh, to follow as I remember. I mean, maybe it helped that I knew the twist. But this is just a very captivating movie, about a rivalry between two magicians and the different ways that they show themselves up. And the performance of Hugh Jackman is amazing in this. Christian Bale's amazing. David Bowie, the build-up to him is incredible and it pays off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go for a out five for this. This is a very captivating movie. I think that is one that I probably should have rewatched a little bit more back in the day, but I'm glad I did
0: now. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, you know, I'm going to echo your sentiments here four to five. Um, I, I think, you know, for me, it was the production design that just it keeps you engrossed in the world too. Maybe when the story is mm-hmm. getting a little bit more like, okay, where is this going? Like, you're just still like, just drawn into the world um, just like that world of opportunity and, and like what awaits the future. Um just a great story of a rivalry of obsession of uh, and just a, a unique twist, not one that's going to like shatter minds or, or change the way we think about movies, but a good twist that works with just a hint of suspensive reality um, four to five, definitely recommend the prestige. If you have not seen it, Tommy, any final thoughts before we head off this week?
1: All right. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Senate pod. That's on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and also threads, which were kind of slowly. It's the thre- thre- to- threads
0: Threads lived as hard as it felt, man. It's already irrelevant.
1: It's already irrelevant. So yeah, but you can, I guess, occasionally see us on there. Um, But you know, Coming up next week, uh, we are celebrating Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, birthday. Uh, I don't know what this might be his 76th birthday, which is insane. Um, so, we had a poll up on our Twitter. I think by the time this episode's released, the poll will be over between Commando, Total Recall, and Conan. Right now, it's looking like Total Recall is going to take the win. So, I'm very excited. We're going to cover another Paul Verhoeven, third Paul Verhoeven movie we're going to be covering on the pod after uh, Basic Instinct and in our uh, Robocop episode. So,
0: then we could do Starship Troopers at some point. Star- Starship Troopers, which you've never seen.
1: Um, yeah. I, I saw a double feature. This robot podcast is a full troopers. education for me on Verhoeven. Verhoeven. Yeah. So get ready. I think we're going to we call it now. Total Recall next week. Uh, Even
0: you know, if it's not the case, we're going to do the one we want. So it's going to be Total <laughs> Recall.
1: Yeah. So uh, All right. Yeah, so and also leave us a five star review, Apple, Spotify, wherever your podcast really helps us out. So
0: thank you all so much for listening today. We will see you next week.